this is why, you know, we have to admit that Israel is founded in trauma. <laughs> like it is, it is, it, 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 it is both a replica of settler colonialism and also a new iteration of it because it's being cast as reparations for genocide. This is a new twist. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Bituation Room podcast on a spooky, woo, peeking there, a spooky Halloween Tuesday. I hope you're doing well. I hope you have dressed up your children or pets as something hilarious and adorable. My daughter was a cow, is a cow, and when we dressed her up, she just looks in the mirror and dances as we sing La Vaca Lola to her. It's what we need during these times of heinous crimes and war. Yay! We just need little kids, little dogs dressed up as like burritos or sushi, preferably. Um, and then we'll get back to, you know, fighting for freedom. Um, so excited to have you here. So glad you decided to stop by. So glad you decided to press play because I am going to be joined for most of the show by author Naomi Klein, who has a new book out called Doppelganger. She is also the author of books like this changes everything, no logo, and she is um, she's very prolific and writes for The Guardian, among many other publications. Um, and I'm really, really stoked to have her on the show. Um, if you are listening as a podcast, why don't you give this podcast five stars? Because you know the discussion is going to be fire already. Um, if you're watching on YouTube or Twitch, what's up? Oh, crap, I got to load Twitch notifications. <laughs> Hang on. Is Girl From Me Benipa not the international waiting music? Prove me wrong. Change my mind. Um, that was the line. Uh, like and share the stream wherever you are. Subscribe right now. Become a member. Do all the things. And you guys, if you want to truly support this show, this very not safe for uh, advertisers and sponsors, um, Become a patron, patreon.com slash bituation room. Uh, two bucks, five bucks, ten dollars gets you a shout out at the end of the show during the fart song. It means the world that you support the show. It means the world. For those of you who've reached out and have enjoyed my coverage of Israel Palestine, mostly just my like raging, uh, thank you. Thank you for your kind comments. Um, I just have to name, you know, there was no part of me that was worried that the Frantifa, <laughs> like, that y'all were gonna ditch me on this. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not, I was, I have not seen people not listen to these episodes. I have not seen people unsubscribe from the show. If anything, more people have come into the fray and more, as more people are speaking out against war crimes um, and, you know, the killing of civilians. And so I'm really proud and, but also unsurprised that of course, um, you know where I stand and I'm happy that you stand with me and I hope you've joined, you know, demonstrations in your area or are, you know, thinking of ways how you can be in solidarity. This is a long fight. This is a long haul, uh, even though this war is not showing signs of slowing down and who knows how long it will last. But um, so thank you. And I'm really heartened and excited that, you know, you, you're with me in this. So um, with that... Oh, on this Friday, we're going to talk about the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried. That's going to be very exciting. I will have a special guest talking with you about that. Um, and yeah, that's all I have to say about that. If you want to hear me and Matt ranting about Palestine and Israel, 
Become a member. Listen to the bonus bish. You can listen back. Uh, also, last week I I uh, I did some hearty ranting as well. And so uh, yeah, become a member and listen to all that while you you know take your long walks that are supposed to clear your mind and then just be like Francesca's in my ear. Um, but why don't we just get to it again? Um, author, uh, honestly, like movement not scribe but movement narrator um the author of how to change everything um battle for paradise this uh, this changes everything no is not enough shock doctrine and no logo all of which should be your summer reading or winter reading naomi klein thank you so much for being here great to be with you francesca hi everyone thanks for hi. not unsubscribing yeah. <laughs> i have also i haven't been appreciating your your rage <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm. Oh, she watches and or listens. Thank thank you. And and um you've been obviously touring with this new book, Doppelganger. I have it and I've done the sort of college thing where I've like, you know, folded bunny ears or rabbit ears or whatever, and like, you know, I'm gonna be reading some passages back to you, which I'm sure you love. Um, but this book is excellent. It's so personal in a lot of ways, but also political. The personal is political. It's obviously it's just great. It is so good. And it is so fitting for the moment that we're in right now. Not only Halloween, the spooky doppelganger, um, you know, sort of figure, but also this war on Gaza and the retaliation for Hamas's attack. Um, and you have a dedicate maybe I think the final couple chapters to this doppelganger situation between Israelis and Palestinians. Um, the other, the alter ego, the id someone who your your freedom is actually truly dependent upon uh in some ways um oh, oh, but anyway we'll we'll get into that but i guess i wanted to ask you about what what's going on right now in the geopolitics and before we jumped on you know you mentioned that you have actually you know written extensively about israel palestine and specifically the ways that it is this lab of militarism and this sort of like proof that borders work, that you can shut out the the terrorism, you can shut out the other, and you can have this sort of insular um, nation state armed to the teeth. And that this is in part why the, the United States and other Western countries are backing it so heavily with so many millions of dollars for weapons. Um, so I guess, were you surprised that Biden has come out <laughs> and been like, yep, whatever the Israelis want to do, no ceasefire? Mm -hmm. Um, and that despite the United Nations saying otherwise, this is still now three weeks into this, um, the, you know, the line. Mm. It's hard. It's, it's hard to know. I'm horrified, surprised. I mean, the extent of the recklessness, I, I maybe would not have foreseen I mean, the symbolism of going to Israel in this moment, um, to be standing with the American and Israeli flags, just completely throwing away any possibility really of being an honest broker, in a, which we know the US has never been an honest broker. So this is why, not surprised, but I, I would say like the th that trip was, was so inflammatory that there was a part of me that was a little bit shocked by it. Not shocked by the blanket support, but 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 that, I mean, to go so far that you lose Jordan, you know, um, like that's right. a lot. Um, and uh, 
you know, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're watching them torch everything, you know, including, including their reelection hopes. Uh, they very well may be torching those on, on this altar of, you know, so-called stand with Israel. So it is worth asking why, like really understanding this, not just the U.S., it's the European Union, it's Canada, it is the, it's the, it's the white Western world plus Modi. Um, and, and I, and I, and, and I have been thinking about the, you know, the research um, in the shock doctrine, I have a chapter about Israel as a laboratory for the um, post 9-11 surveillance state. Mm. And the way it, the, the, and to understand that you, you have to understand the decision uh, among Israel's leaders to really openly abandon what they used to call the peace process and now don't really talk about anymore in favor of this idea of security without peace. Um, and this was the idea that you could have a secure Israel without negotiating with Palestinians anymore, without um, any kind of land for peace prospect, um, just by this this process that accelerated after 9/11 but predates it of building the of right. building the apartheid wall of building a whole economy of privatized companies many of which were spun off from the, the Israeli army of surveillance wall building sensors biometric identification and this whole package was sold to India US Canada Europe after 9/11 as this is how you deal with terrorism, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think one, I think there's lots of different ways of understanding this, this extremely reckless, treacherous blanket support that the Israeli state is getting right now. Some of which has to do with this kind of second world war do-over loop that we're in, where it's like, okay, well, we let it happen last time. We waited way too long. Even when we intervened to stop Hitler, you know, we didn't do things like bomb the train tracks on the way to the camps. I mean, there's a lot. So there's a lot, there's, there's this way in which this narrative, and this is a separate question, but I just want to be clear that that's, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. lot going on right now. And some of, some yes. of it is this idea that Israel cultivates of positioning, like freezing itself in the Holocaust moment and say, and equating blanket support for Israel with this is your chance to, and to stop another Holocaust, right. never mind that we are the ones committing massive war crimes and pre-announce we plan to commit genocide and then target civilians, collective punishment. This is a genocide in, in progress, but it's like we, but while doing it, we are the ones saying, no, we're the ones facing genocide. And now here's your chance to get it right this time. That's a lot of it, but that is not all of it. That doesn't explain all of it. Ex explain some mm -hmm, of it. That's mm -hmm. a piece of it. A another is, is this idea of the lab, that they are the lab for every country that has a similar model of security without justice or peace in this incredibly right. unequal world. And it is connected with cl climate. It is connected with our, our other wars um, that our governments are 
waging and funding and right. the mass displacement connected to that. And the fact that Israel is not the only country that is just trying to have a bubble of quote unquote normalcy um, in the midst of, of, of mass incarceration of another people. It's just a hyper exaggerated example of that, right? It's a modern yeah. day. I mean, what I love about what you're saying is that I think a lot of us like look at Israel um, as kind of this vestige of a colonial past, like that's happening in real time, a modern day colonialism. But you're saying that actually it is mirroring the other ways that, you know, Western countries are trying to, yeah, build higher borders. I mean, taller walls to keep out, you know, refugees from countries that we helped, yeah. you know, destroy. Um, so it is kind of got one foot in both of these um it's a 75 year old, you know, wound, but then it also is continuing on. Um, and our our I don't own know, like settler it, colonial it, states are trying yes, to exactly. themselves in these ways. Right. And, 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 and oftentimes with Israeli supply technology, because right. this is the pitch of security without peace, security without justice, that the Israeli government has been selling in its so-called startup nation is like, you too can have the wall, you too can have the, you know, the, the biometric sensors and the rest of it. Um, and this is part of what allows Israel to have security without peace, because this is a booming economy. This is part of what fuels Israel's economy is the sale of these technologies and weaponry. Um, so when Hamas penetrates that wall um, on the scale that it did uh, um, on October the 7th, that is a security failure, not only for Israel. Um, it is, it, it calls the whole project of security without peace or justice for the, for the entire globe into question. And right. so I think part of what we're seeing in the ferocity of Israel's response and the seeming insanity of the support for it from Biden at all is we cannot let this model fail because what does that mean for our own borders? What does that mean, you know, for for the for the saws in the re, in the buoys in the Rio Grande? What does it mean for the barges the UK government is now using to deport migrants? Um, you know, what does it mean for Australia's uh, detention camps on you know islands like? Uh, Manus, like it's this is a global yeah. project, and Israel's a kind of an a intensified avatar for it, and yeah. so that's partly how I understand what doesn't seem to make any sense of this blanket support. But yeah, it's also about the fact that it is a settler colony. It like, and this comes to the material in 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 Doppelganger that looks at Israel as. Um, you know, I quote uh, um, a scholar uh, um, in the UK, uh, Carol um, Carolyn Rooney, who, who calls Israel's um, formation an example of doppelganger politics in that it becomes a doppelganger of the European nationalism that so many right. Jews were fleeing. Um, right. And, uh, you know, she's not saying it's a doppelganger of the Nazis, but she is saying it's a doppelganger of that sort of hyper-nationalism that uh, fomented the pogroms, for instance. Um, right. And of course, you know, Israeli society has this like doppelganger at the center of it, which is this idea of the new Jew, right? It's a doppelganger of the old Jew, which is like hyper-masculinist, militarist, um, you know, 
that holding the gun instead of the book basically um and it's like we will defeat the other through brute force and i think what we're funnily enough marvel apparently is working on a new film uh that is a superhero based on a mossad agent so that's going to be fun and upcoming um but just to your point about the united states and this again israel as a lab you know, we all have seen the quote going around, but it's worth mentioning again that Biden said if Israel didn't exist, we'd have to invent an Israel, you know, to be the like outpost in the Middle East um, for us. And that I think has been ringing in my head. Um, but I also think there's been a massive break. I mean, even there's no vernier, like even Obama, I would even call it a, a little bit better than a vernier, you know, trying to stop the expansion of settlements, calling Netanyahu a pain in the ass, you know, to not to his face, but, you know, privately multiple times. Um, and he, even he had to come out and be like, uh, you know, it's bad to cut off electricity and water access, which is something Biden didn't say. Um, so it just feels like the mask is off on, yeah, whether or not we were honest brokers in this issue in the first mm -hmm. place. But I also um, think and then you have we have to... to think about the message this is sending to the world. I mean, the, right. the, the, this, this is, yes, a message to Palestinians that, that, that is being communicated through bomb, bombs creating craters in refugee camps. Um, but it, I think it's a message to the entire global South, which is partly why Pal Palestine is, is so symbolic. Um, because the message is we will stop at nothing. You know, if you try to threat, if you try to pierce our collective iron domes, you know, like we might not call it an iron dome in North America, but we have our versions of these iron domes. And if you try to pierce it and, and, and if you actually pierce it, um, then the revenge will be unlimited. It will be absolute. Yeah. So, you know, we are seeing mass communication um, with weapons of mass destruction, right? This is a form of mass communication and it is not only directed to Palestinians. Um, you know, I, I like I, that, 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 yes, I, right. I think it's fascinating just in terms of the global South, yeah. like where a lot of folks do not understand that like outside of the US or Western Europe, like, you know, Asia, Latin America, Africa, like identify with Palestinians, right, have always spoken of Palestinians as this emblem of, um, like, the internationally oppressed, the colonial project, and, and that, again, had every single Western nation behind it. Um, and it's not because they were anti-Semitic. It's because while they were going through their anti-colonial struggles, simultaneously the state of Israel was being created, um, you know, um, at the, you know, barrel of a gun. And um, that was live... Like that was coming up as they were trying to resist and, sh and shirk their colonial powers. So then and, and again, I think it's important to separate out like. And I want to dig into that with you, because after reading your book, Doppelganger, and then having friends um, who I had never had the discussion around Israel, Palestine before with um, who I would call liberal Zionists, liberal Zionist friends sort of who are justice minded who, you know, believe in civil rights, um, you know, who are otherwise progressive, quote Golda Meir at me. Like, tell me that one day we'll be able to forgive the Arabs. We'll be able to forgive ourselves for killing the... No, we'll be able to forgive the Arabs for killing us, but we'll never be able to forgive them for making us kill their children. And then, like, 
are you seriously quoting that at me right now? And there's just like, it feels like all of a sudden my, my friends, and yeah, they are all, they, they are Jewish, they're Jewish Americans. And this is not, I have all tons of, you know, anti-Zionist Jewish, Jewish friends, married one. Um, but suddenly there's like a, there's been a turn and it's like, well, this is what we must do mm. in order to protect our safety in order to protect that never again motto that so many American Jews and others are speaking out against as evidenced by all the mass actions we've yeah. seen over the last weeks. Yeah. But, but you know, you quoted you, Biden, right? And that, that's not the only thing yeah. he said. He, he, he also said something just extraordinary. Um, you know, th this is, you know, what it, this was a month ago that, well, this was definitely before October 7th. Um, some, some people are quoting it as if it happened since, but he actually said it before he said, without the state of Israel, no Jew will be safe, right? Yeah. Which is a really incredible thing for the, for, for the president of the United States to say, um, because it's actually his job to keep everybody safe in the United States, including Jewish people. Like they shouldn't need another state. In, in, we shouldn't need another state in order to be safe. But that was his way of expressing support for Israel because that is absolutely central to what Zionism has told generations of Jewish people that we that it is our safety in a world that will never accept us, that will always turn on us, um, and that anti-Semitism is this primordial force um, that right. is outside of time and history, that there's no way of confronting it, that you that that any kind of attempts to fight it through multiracial, multi-ethnic alliances and 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 fighting for your universal rights, that's all a waste of time. The only thing you can do is is put a gun to its head and force it into submission. And so I think what you're hearing from your sort of soft Zionist friends who are suddenly becoming hard Zionists is that this is the education that they grew up with. Um, it, right. You know, and I write about this in the book that, um, you know, I ho hopefully people will forgive me, but I draw on Philip Roth a fair bit because he wrote this absolutely incredible doppelganger novel called uh, Operation Shylock, which is very relevant in this moment. And the plot of Operation Shylock is that the main character who is named Philip Roth and who has written all of Philip Roth's book is being mm -hmm. dogged by a fake Philip Roth who's running around Jerusalem trying to engineer a reverse exodus of the Jews back to Eastern Europe because he's convinced that everything took a wrong turn when Judaism went all in with Zionism. And he's sure that Israel is going to become the coffin of the Jews unless they get mm -hmm. out, it'll be another Holocaust. Um, and the reason it's called Operation Shylock is because the argument is that that Jews have, every Jew has a doppelganger and that doppelganger is the money lending um, mutilating Shylock in Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice. And so mm. that stands in for this primordial force that is anti-Semitism. Anti and this idea that you'll never shake your, your real doppelganger, who is who, who the Gentile world sees as you. They might put up with mm -hmm. you in the short term, but in the long term, they're always going to see you as Shylock. They're always going to turn on you. And that's why you need this hyper fortress state of your own. Um, and so, yeah. which is a terrifying way to live. I mean, and I, and it's like, and also to be educated. I just want to read. But that's why it's so dangerous just... for Biden to reinscribe that idea to say you will never be safe 
without Israel. Well, like it's one thing for Netanyahu to say it, but for Biden to say it, it's like we are in this cycle of what my friend Cecily Saraski calls re-traumatization. Um, we yes. think that we're remembering the Holocaust, but we're actually being re-traumatized by these kind of ritualistic reenactments, which are designed to keep us in this state of hyper fear as if they're about to bang down the doors. And those responses that you're hearing are at people having those trauma buttons pushed over and over again. And I get why people are sick of hearing about Jewish trauma in a moment when the Israeli state is killing Palestinian babies on a massive scale. I 100% get that. Um, but I don't think you can understand Israel's, it, like Israel's politics without understanding the weaponization of trauma. Um, and the yeah. difference between remembering and re-traumatization. Right. And it seems like, you know, the Israeli state is is likes the the latter. They like the re-traumatization. It's easier. It's more malleable. I mean, you know, it's as I've been trying to... Story. It's a central part of their story. And as I've been trying to empathize with some of the wild things that folks are telling me, at least on that side, I think about, you know, post 9-11, the United, the United States. And granted, very different. And I... But but imagine living in a perpetual state. I mean, some people were born, many people born after 9-11, but a perpetual state of fear, perpetual code red, perpetual, you know, what's the terror alert? Like, that is a horribly um, traumatic way to live, generally. Um, and I think you also, before I go on to, I mean, let's just go back to Biden just really quickly, because it is very interesting that his press secretary just recently sort of equated, you know, Palestinian solidarity marches, or as they're saying, anti-Israel, which I'm so done with this pro-Israel, anti-Israel, pro-Palestine, like that language is so um, old to me. But, you know, the press secretary basically was like, yeah, look, Biden ran for pre president after seeing the Nazis in Charlottesville, effectively equating, you know, the Palestine solidarity marches with the Charlottesville Nazis. And then on top of that, Biden's basically saying, well, there's ultimately nothing I can do with it because Israel is the only safe place for Jews. And so this is someone who wants to stand up to a real anti-Semitism coming from the right, which we didn't get to this, but the right absolutely loves the idea of Israel as a lab. That's what they they want the U.S.-Mexico border to look like. Um, they want all, you know, Israeli companies are, have already been contracted to build, you know, surveillance apparatuses on the border. But that's why they that's why they love it. They they feel like, well, yeah, let's build also, that. Also, anti-Semites have always loved Israel because they get to get rid of their Jewish people, right? Like <laughs> and this right. is the thing about the memories that are being kept alive. Um, there's always there's always a little bit of truth in it, right? And you know, I think that um Yes, Israel is a settler colonial nation, and we need to understand the way it is a kind of a doppelganger of the settler colonialism that influenced Hitler, um, you know, the whole idea of uh, of, of of his, um, you know, elbow room, Lebesrom, like expanding into the East was modeled on the Western frontier, you know, and he modeled concentration camps after British concentration camps in Africa. And he was very open about this. Um, and and anti-colonial scholars, um, you know, have drawn out comparisons that many people who didn't, who were in denial about the violences of colonialism did not see in Hitler, 
you know, that, 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 um, you know, W.E.D. Du Bois, W.E.B. Du Bois, MSSR taught, wrote in the 50s about how Hitler was influenced explicitly by uh, by colonization, uh, by the by, 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 by transatlantic uh, enslavement. Um, you know, I don't have all the quotes at my fingertips, but, you know, they were saying like nothing he did had not been done before in some other form. And that also is a challenge to the idea of the Holocaust as being sort of impossible to compare to any other genocide, to it right. being outside of history. That's connected to this idea of anti-Semitism as this primordial force that you can't contextualize historically, right? And that's so wild because how do we how, how do you break through that idea? Because I think you do that so well, which is like, yes, the Holocaust was very uniquely evil in all of these ways, but it was also sort of, you know, again, like you're Fordist. saying, replicating. It was Fordist. I mean, it used the technologies of the day that were not available to previous genocidaires, but um, the logics. It's too fancy of a name for them. Genocidaires. Is this like, is, you know, this is the, this is the logic um, that Sven Lindquist and, and, and then Raoul Peck in his film for HBO, which, you know, his series, Exterminate All the Brutes, make the argument that this, the exterminatory mindset uh, begins in, in 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 southern Europe and in, in, in Italy and Portugal with uh, the the expulsions of Jews and Muslims in the same year that Columbus set sail for the Americas um, right. and that idea that of the the civilization the, the civilizing project that exterminates everything in its way in it, 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 it in in its way then loops back to Europe. Um, and takes the and wages war inside Europe through the through the Nazi Holocaust, um, but you know that makes the argument that it wasn't recognized as uh, when it when it came home when it came back to Europe right. where it began. Um, but then you have Netanyahu right now saying this is a war of civilizations, right? Because yes. there's another chapter in this story, and the chapter of the story is. Europe didn't want the Jews. North America didn't want the Jews. Australia didn't want the Jews. And the quote unquote Jewish problem gets quote unquote solved by spatially displacing it uh, onto Palestine. And the mantle of whiteness gets passed to the Jews and it's their turn. And this, yeah. this is somehow imagined as reparations, except it's replication. So we are hmm. in this historical loop. But this is why, you know, we have to admit that Israel is founded in trauma like it is it is it, it 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 is both a replica of settler colonialism and also a new iteration of it because it's being cast as reparations for genocide this is a new twist and if we can't sort of look at that complexity and understand how central it is to israel's own narrative of itself i'm not sure we get out of the loop i mean I've been talking about this with Matt, my husband, a lot, and we were just like sort of exclaiming at how like it seems the fact that it is a loop, the fact that it is using trauma, weaponizing trauma against another and to to perpetuate yet another genocide. It's like almost the hackiest Hollywood script you've ever read. Like it's so painfully ironic that like no one really believes that that's what's happening, but that is exactly what is happening. And so um, 
it is yes it and i guess my question is and we can we should move on from this because i I'm have other sure. questions I'm not sure we should <laughs> i mean we shouldn't yeah. but it's but but about like breaking through mm. because yeah. how am i as a gentile gonna say hey jews your trauma is real but the holocaust and what is happening now this is these are not unique situations and every time i try to compare palestinians to any to south africans right there's always pushback no 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 it's different mm -hmm. no no the holocaust was completely separate and different and never or before yeah. or after has there anything been anything as heinous and it's like but if we actually understand yeah. that 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 there isn't sadly anything super special about it and we aren't harboring some secret anti-semitic you know chip that gets activated mm -hmm. And that the Palestinians aren't mad that, like, the Jews run media, in air quotes. Like, they're not Marjorie Taylor Greens up in here. Like, they just want peace and land and to ideally return to the homes that they were forced from. Although, you know, that's whatever. But, like, do you know what I mean? Like, that, it's sort of a, it's like a, a hit a wall. And I'm not telling, I'm not asking you to tell me how to talk to soft Zionists. I just. Um, well, I think it is helpful yeah. to say. Every genocide is different. Like, like it, it isn't. It, it sure. isn't a one to one. Um, and you, and and the reason why we have international humanitarian law is because every genocide is different, but they're still not allowed, right? Like every right. every war crime is different. Every war crime has a story for why this particular war crime is okay. And the reason we have, we have international humanitarian legal architecture, which is the legacy of the Holocaust in the Second World War. And that is why it right. is so offensive to me as a Jew to watch a state in the name of Jewish safety try to detonate that entire international humanitarian legal infrastructure because it is getting in the way of this latest chapter in this bloody story, right? That is why they want to get Antonio Gutierrez fired. That is why they are willing yes. to detonate whole parts of the UN if they are to be held by these laws. And when they say it's our turn to do Dresden, it's our turn to do Hiroshima, that is the whole reason we have this architecture so that there isn't another one, right? That says that collective punishment is illegal. And the whole reason why we have a genocide convention is so that we have some definitions that transcend the specificities, right? So I, this is why, honestly, Francesca, I, like I did, I, you know, and you haven't asked me about it, but you're welcome to, like I wrote a controversial article for The Guardian, you know, talking about why we have yes. to stay true to international humanitarian law, regardless of who is violating the laws. And it doesn't work to, to celebrate it in the morning and then invoke it in the afternoon. And I know there's a lot of, of controversy about the word celebrate. I didn't like that it was in the headline, but I do believe there was some that, that, that there was some ambivalence on the left about whether standing with the oppressed means no matter what, or whether it is constrained by international law. I believe Palestinians under occupation have a right under international law to armed resistance, and that that is limited by international, the same international laws that sure. allow for that armed resistance to occupation also says that you can't target civilians. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think I definitely was surprised by the article when I read it. Um, and I like also felt like I seen that I saw it from so many other folks that I was like, you know, I know you've got way more tools <laughs> and you're like 
just intellectually. And I was like, I was waiting for, for that. And so I'm so grateful to have you on now, but I, I, I granted, I wasn't super online combing for like the anti-Semitic remarks and I did see people posting days after like a Palestine flag, not my tack. Like that definitely, I would, Palestine that's flag is not, not the issue. And I don't want, no, I don't no, want no, to no, get, but, get but, into it. I just think we need to be very clear. And I think lots of Palestinian leaders have been very clear. Um, yes. You know, I've been a supporter of BDS since 2008 or nine, um, you know, and, and what the BDS call says is until, until Israel complies with international law. Um, right. And it's international laws, international human rights law is a really important tool in this struggle. Uh, and, and so I saw people, not Palestinians actually, being pretty casual about it. And, right. and I think right now when we're all, when we're all invoking it, um, to define what is happening now as genocide, which says that that is an attempt to eliminate a, a people in whole or in part, we have to, like, th there, there is only the moral force of these laws. Like, we're not able to haul them up in front of the ICC. Like, it, we, have a, we, have, we have a moral force and, that we lose if we're not willing to apply it to our side. Um, sure. And I, and, and like, it is very interesting. However, there's always like the pushback of like, well, the U S is a settler colonial nation. And like, you know, what about you going to give back your land? And it's like, if on the corner there was a skirmish, a battle between, you know, native Angelinos, I do not, I'm not, I, I do not know who initially yeah. originally was here. And that is terrible, but you know, the indigenous folks here and my, like, and the police force, yeah, you're fucking right. I would have something to say about it, and and I know which side I would be on. Um, but it's a, a going back to your like, well, why can't we have our Hiroshima? Why can't we have our war crime? It is um, very very terrible to say so, and yet we should state that the United States, with the war in Iraq, um, very much trampled international law, and and Israel um, does all the time. Um, sure. But, it, and these are weak tools, but unfortunately they're kind of the only tools available. Um, yeah. I think the other thing I wanted to say, and this just in terms of the like celebrating and celebrating Hamas, I think there was, when you frame it as like a prison break, mm -hmm. I think th I understand that there was excitement for like Gazans after sure. this blockade and this siege for however long broke free. You hear Gazans who are like their first reaction, I apologize, but their first reaction was like, whoa, we did that? Like, damn, you know? And yes, yeah, we're talking about murder. We're talking about civilians. Um, we're talking also about 200 uh, plus hostages who were not accounted for, who knows what's being done to actually free them. Um, certainly bombs are not helping. Hamas wants prisoner exchanges. But look, right. it took Boots Riley on Twitter to be like, I looked at Hamas's charter, which is funny because who among us has been like, ooh, Hamas's charter? Nobody. Because we assume it says like death to all Jews, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't. It talks about it doesn't seek war with the Jewish people, only with Zionism that drives the occupation of Palestine. They say they're not a revolutionary force. Uh, they like just on and on. And, and this again is not supposed to like, soften everyone's view it's just to say these aren't this isn't like it is not isis mm -hmm. it is absolutely not isis and there is a point again but that's in the terms whole point of, of casting it as a pogrom as hate crimes as you know the 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 the, the day of the most jewish bloodshed since the holocaust is it lifts it right. out of a 
geopolitical grinding occupation and battle over borders and land and rights and puts it into this other story about the primordial yeah. hatred of the Jews, which is where Netanyahu wants it, right? So, but I, what I'm saying is it is a crime. It's a, it's a war crime. It's, it, via, it, violates, it violates this code. There is a right to armed resistance. There is not a right to target civilians. Um, right. So that's, you know, that's part of the reason why I think it does matter. Um, and, and, and I think we need to understand what's happening when it gets called a pogrom, when it gets cast as, as, as Jew hatred, as opposed to, um, uh, you know, an anti-Israeli uh, 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 massacre. I mean, there, I think there were massacres. Uh, and I think that that's a war crime. But we need to look at it geopolitically. And I think you're absolutely right. There is a vested interest in casting Hamas as being completely irrational, having no agenda other than hatred. And we remember this from post 9-11, right? You want, the, the more irrational um, your enemies are, the, the, the less you have to actually look at any of these historical drivers, right? I mean, it's very interesting, and even I've said the word, terrorism word, but like having terrorism come back into mm. you know the the vernacular and just like the zeitgeist is like, have we not learned from this word um, a little bit? Um, because you know, and again, learning from the Afghanistan war, anyone who harbors or associates with terrorists will not be negotiated with, and that's how you get utter lawlessness in the after the you know toppling of the Taliban after the toppling of Saddam Hussein nobody who knew how to run a government at all albeit a very you know an Islamist you know whatever draconian government 20 years later they're back in power I mean it's just like <laughs> we'll talk about Hillary Clinton later uh after you can you can nope out of that discussion but <laughs> I guess I wanted we should turn to talking a little bit about the book because I I, I there's particular. I mean, we questions. have been talking about the book though. Uh, to be clear, like like and this yeah, is yeah, it's yeah, super yeah. Well, interesting to it's... me that so much of the response to the book has completely avoided the Israel material. <laughs> like, has have you not been talking about no, that throughout? I mean, people are afraid of it, which I find like people don't want to talk about 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 Nazism as a doppelganger of settler colonialism. Nor do they want to talk about Israel's doppelganger politics. They want to talk about Steve Bannon and Naomi Wolf. So I'm really happy to talk about like the final. Third well, let's of the do book. it. Well, we don't have <laughs> fuck those guys. I mean, here here's what I want to read to, because I do think it's really you basically go through this entire like um, journey of the, going down the rabbit hole of a of another intellectual, another author who. Um, for lack of a better term, even though you don't use it, was basically red-pilled and went off the deep end, Naomi Wolf, who many people confused you for um, and with, and we'll talk about separately, but you kind of have this unselfing journey, as you, you title this chapter, which is so, it's very Buddhist and beautiful, and you talk about, you know, how you kind of let your brand slip, and maybe people didn't know about you, and then here comes Naomi Wolf, and she's fucking everywhere, and blah, 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 she's all tweeting up a storm. But you kind of in the middle of, you know, after you talk about Israel-Palestine, you talk about the overarching message I choose to take at the end of my doppelganger journey is it's time to loosen the grip on various forms of proprietary pain and selfhood, to reach toward many different forms of possible connection and kin toward anyone who shares a desire to confront the forces of annihilation and extermination and their mindsets of purity and perfection. Faced with the ultimate doppelganger threat, the flip into fascism that is already well underway in many parts of the world, it's this ability to melt some of the hard, icy edges of identity, however we earned those defenses may be, 
will be important to any hope of success we have. It will not be enough to protect our people. We will need to have the stamina of true solidarity, which defines our people as all people. I mean, that is like that that is so fitting for this moment as we are being told those who are calling for ceasefire are being told, but but we have to protect our people. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, you know, I mean, if there's the one solace for me in this moment, and it's it's a small one, has been the presence of groups like Jewish Voice for Peace, and if not now, who really embody, or you know, in publications like Jewish Currents, you know, I, I quote Ariel Angel right before that passage, saying, yes. you know, we are going to need each other as we fight fascism. And she's writing this from a Jewish perspective, because I think there is a generational shift going on right now where, you know, and this is some of the history I get into in the book is Judaism used to be such a contested space um, before the Holocaust. Mm. There, there, there were so many different possible answers to the problem of anti-Semitism. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, there was the Bund, uh, which my friend Molly Crabapple is writing a book about right now, which I can't wait to That's read, awesome. which was this, you know, and the Bundists would fight with the Zionists um, who were saying, you know, safety is to be found over there in Palestine. And the Bundists had this concept of, Hereness, um, yeah. that 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 we fight where we stand in coalition with other oppressed peoples, um, and yes, we protect our Yiddish culture and our Jewish culture, and we have our you know militias and and you know we we fight the fascists. Um, and anti-Semitism was used, including anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, um, to break apart those multi-ethnic co- coalitions, um, but. The you know a- after the Holocaust, so many different possible answers to the question of how do we confront fascism were were either completely wiped Divided. out or just um, kind of there were just a few people who remained. But so it seemed like there was just one possible answer, for, right. and that was this militarized fortress state that would not. Um, would not join together with other oppressed people, but would just try to, like I said, put a gun to its head and force it into submission. And we are in this moment where, you know, I think we're seeing a rebirth of the anti-war movement and also a peace with justice movement. You know, I've been on the board of Jewish Voice for Peace for a decade and a half. They used to have three staff people and I don't think they were all full time, you know, and now they are this amazing growing organization that can buy a full page ad in the New York Times, can shut down Grand Central Station, um, you know, ha- had a massive civil, massive civil disobedience uh, um, uh, in Congress. Um, but most importantly, is working in coalition um, with, with many other groups, you know, uh, and building that kind of solidarity away from proprietary pain. And, you know, I see all these signs mm. that young younger Jews are holding that say, like, you know, like uh, there's one that has like a possible multiple choice, like never again to to the Jews, never again to anyone. And like they check never again to anyone. And I think a lot of I think there is a generational shift underway. It's not everyone. Yes. Um, but it is a big shift. And I think these larger like old line legacy Zionist organizations and um, and and Jewish organizations that claim to speak for all Jews, but but define that as just offering blanket support for Israel, um, right? Uh, 
are freaking out at this generational shift, right? Are, are yes, freaking out yes. that this that 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 this universalist never again is surging among among you know a, a, a younger generation, and they're losing control of the narrative. And you know, I, I'm really just so happy that these groups exist, that they've been organizing, um, that they're staying true to principles, um, that it is, you know, that, 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 yeah, I'm just very. And it has to do with the rise of Netanyahu anyway, and the, and the killing of the peace process, right. And the fact that that's been dead in the water. So if you're a 20 year old and sort of, this is all, you know, and you've seen, you've already seen like six or seven wars on Gaza. It's like at a certain point. And then now with the mass Israeli casualties, it's just like, um, he, you know, it makes sense that that Israel's losing its grip on young American Jews specifically. Um, and I just wish that that yeah, that like hereness and like like needing each other were, um, it's popular as hell. I mean, the majority of of Americans believe we should be you using diplomacy. Secretary Blinken said there is no military solution to this. So basically we're just waiting on like a body count number to be reached or who knows, or to push them all into uh, the desert. It's, it's no, wild. Um, in ethnic cleansing. We have to be very clear. Come back to the shock doctrine. You know, this is the most grotesque example of the shock doctrine I have ever seen, which is using a shock, using a trauma to ram through a pre-existing agenda. And that pre-existing agenda is a massive land grab in the West Bank and liquidating the population of Gaza, you know, into Egypt. Um, and they're doing it, right? And they're doing it yeah. in the name of avenging Jewish blood while not even trying to get the hostages. I know. I, this is, I mean, this is, the, this is wild. It's wild to me that anyone, that we could take them seriously um, at all. And anyway, there, there's a lot, but I, okay, where should we, where should we move on to? I, I did want to ask, okay, let's just talk, we can skip Naomi, um, the wolf. Um, but, but I did kind of want to ask you about what you learned, because as you talk about doppelgangers, you, the doppelganger always sort of appears to kind of teach us something about ourselves, you know, and coming from the left, uh, like, what do you feel like we can learn from these right-wing grifters, mm -hmm. Wuanon, QAnon, you know, anti-vaxxers, this shadow world, as you call it? You know, one of the things that I love is when you talk about how big they dream, how they're like, look, at least they want to, like, arrest all the pedophiles, mm -hmm. like, you know, and they really think that's going to happen. Democrats aren't even convinced that, like, Trump is going to see the inside of a prison cell, let alone face any music for all the crimes he's committed. Let alone so I love the international criminal court. Um, yeah, like right. they have a vision for, for justice. It's this sort of cartoon Hollywood. Yeah. White hats are going to, where there's going to be a great storm. You know, it's all of these, these ridiculous cliches, but, but at least they have an idea for what, for, right. for how they're going to ha have some accountability. And, and often there isn't that, um, uh, even on the left really. Um, so, so maybe that is part of what matters if we start thinking about international humanitarian law um, and accountability for these war crimes. Like maybe we have a vision for justice. And, you know, this is, this is, I guess, my big takeaway, you mm -hmm. know, people might've heard me say this before that the conspiracy culture get the facts wrong, but the feelings right. And one of the feelings that they're tapping into is a desire to 
take on the elites is a desire to, you know, have some kind of justice. They're offering them a sort of joke script and they're not going to do it. Um, but, it, yeah. but it's something, uh, it isn't just sort of having the right analysis on X. Um, it is right. actually some sort of a, some sort of a plan. Um, do you mean X like in the platform formerly known as, as Twitter yeah. or do you mean like X? Like, no, just, oh, I God. mean, I meant Twitter. I'm experimenting Damn. with not calling it Twitter. I don't know how long we're going <laughs> to be like able it. to just I be like, like it. <laughs> okay, like how long are we like, no, oh, but, uh, my big stand is I'm not going to call it X, but I'm still going to use it. <laughs> it's, it's bold. Yeah. That is look. Um, okay. So because with that, mm -hmm. then I think it is interesting because you've, you didn't really address it in the book. But coming from the left, my mind reading about, you know, the ways that the anti-establishment, you know, the feelings, the anti-elite politics has like also impacted um, what I would call kind of the dumb, dumb left and the ways that um, they have reared their heads and become the doppelgangers that they would have, you know, um, hated years and years and years ago. I mean, who are you thinking someone of? who I think is. Name well, someone, names, someone, Francesca. let's do it. Well, <laughs> I mean, first of all, Jimmy Dore, who I don't think was ever smart, but he came, you know, he came after me, although nothing of this is about me, but the guy's been tapping into the anti-vax yeah. stuff, used to think, you know, he used to call himself a progressive, all that. It's very funny because he does comedy shows and like, I I've, I heard stories that like his wife will also do a little bit of stand-up and she'll like make fun of anti-abortion folks and everyone in the audience is like, we we are anti-abortion folks what are you doing you know so it's like walking this line where they don't really know it's like this again bullshit populism then you've got someone like glenn greenwald who i think you know for lack of a better term russia gate but the russia stuff really i mean his head did his head in uh and to say like look jimmy Dore got money from an Assadist organization this is not nothing but between the syrian war between the you know sort of Putin's, you know, election meddling, these folks just mm -hmm. became completely the opposite or were revealed to what they truly are, which maybe are a bunch of neocons, like in Glenn Greenwald's case. Then you have, you know, strange bedfellows like Code Pink teaming up with Marjorie oh, Taylor yeah. Greene to stop the war in Ukraine, um, which is very sad, you know, as someone who used to admire Code Pink. Um, so what do you make of that? Because I think some of them are saying, well, look, the anti-establishment folks shouldn't all just go to the Steve Bannons. I want to bite off that apple. And everything is a personal branding and clickbait exercise in this late stage capitalist, you know, influencer hellhole we live in. So why not? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I mean, a lot of yeah. this sort of went particularly haywire after the Bernie campaign collapsed, you know, um, yeah. where I think there was this, like Bernie provided a kind of a container uh, where, and I'm not saying there wasn't, you know, bad behavior in the Bernie campaign, but I I, I do think that because there was a sort of a, a, a common goal and also this kind of ethos of not me, us, um, that it, it, it contained some of these worst angels for a while. Okay, we can all think of exceptions to this, but 
I, but but I, I just I think Trump's election f- fuck Glenn Green. They were all banking on Hillary. They were so yeah, excited yeah. they were just going to be able to be like anti neolib, anti neocon Hillary. Ooh, Hillary, 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 and then Trump wins, and suddenly we're all in unison. We're all together against fascism, and their brand is contrarianism. So they're like, ew, fuck that. I'm not going to join with you guys. I'm going to have a different tack. And then that is mo- like. That gets you eyeballs. That gets you clicks. If you're not saying the thing, anyway. Yeah, I mean, and then I think that you know. So I think some of it was was that moment where, okay, well, if we don't have a container, then we're all just gonna just try to get the clicks for our podcasts, and you know, and and just who, whoever has the most extreme position. So I think you know that I remember that collapse very clearly when suddenly it just all splintered. Uh, and yeah. everyone's just attacking each other and AOC, you know? Um, right, right. But debate me. But I do think that you're right about, about the Trump moment. And also just, you know, come just to bring it full circle around like why we need to have principles that we hold ourselves to, like legible principles that other people can understand. What do we stand for? We don't, we, we don't just define ourselves by who our enemies are and just whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever they are, we are the opposite, whoever they hate, we like, you know, and I think some of what you're describing and some of what has gone haywire on the left is just this sort of like the, like the, an analysis that is just anti-US empire, which a lot of the time will not steer you wrong, but sometimes it will. Sometimes it will, because the US is not the only bad actor on the world stage. Um, so right. if that is your your single orienting politics, then it's going to take you into some dangerous places. And there's a really, really ugly history of this on the left. This is not just something we can blame on the attention economy, uh, because, because you know the left has taken wrong turns before. <laughs> when name one time <laughs> so no it's true and also i do think that it's easy on the internet it's easy to be unmoored from those principles and there is no when you do not come from any kind of movement space you're not necessarily countable and also there's a real conflation of journalist and forward-facing you know pundit and the left and any kind of movement. And often those things are actually fairly disjointed. Um, well, and that I really will comes- say, Francesca, yeah. because I have to run and I think you're going to bash Hillary without me, but even without me there, you know, I agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm there with you in spirit, but I do have to go take my kid, you know, home from school. Um, but I think like we are just in such a horrific moment. Um, and the wave of McCarthyism um, that is coming for Palestinians and anybody engaged in Palestinian um, solidarity is so intense that it is another example where we have to be, um, we have to be able to appeal to principles, including a stronger defense of freedom of expression than I think we've seen on the left in a while. Right. This is like, it's been, I think we've gotten too sloppy and I think we've, I think we're just a little bit, too much like my team good their team bad and when people are getting fired and books are getting banned it's not we're not going to win these battles because by making an argument about the books being good or that person having True. said a good thing we're going to win those these battles by appeals to freedom of speech academic freedom um you know some some kind of values that maybe we have taken a little bit too lightly in recent years um 
So, well, to his credit, Glenn Greenwald has said it is ridiculous to ban anti, you know, like any critics of Israel, like, you know, yeah. um, you know, what's her face? Martha Blackburn, Marsha Blackburn wants to do from the Senate. Like, and so you're seeing some of these folks who sort of like fell off into the free speech, mm -hmm. you know, um, absolutist ether come like actually say the right things now specifically when it comes to palestine because we all knew that this was exactly. the issue that if you truly yeah. say anything about you will yes be blacklisted yeah. uh, and silenced and fired um and i i feel for all the students right now yeah 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 the students i haven't seen this level of demonization of student activism around palestine in a long long time i mean and and it it was fucked when we when i was in college but it's it's even worse now so um and yeah, we need we need to be in solidarity with those folks. Yeah. Naomi Klein, doppelganger, shock doctrine. This changes everything. And um, I like this. This is this was like this was like an easy write for you. You did this in like a week or something <laughs> or whatnot, right? This is like, you know, back to your then she's gonna go back to her reg reg regularly scheduled revolution planning. Um, but this was really I love this and especially the stuff on Israel Palestine. It is so relevant for right now that I've been thinking about just reading it. Well, no, people buy the book. I was going to read it on Instagram, but people buy the goddamn book. Naomi, happy Halloween. Please come back. You're wonderful. It was so great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. See, guys, just a Tuesday. Just fucking having the best conversation of your life on a random-ass Tuesday on Halloween 2023. Um, Robert, thank you for your super chat. U.S. is a plutocracy. The U.S. supports Israel unconditionally. What do the U.S. plutocrats gain from supporting Israel unconditionally? Money. Um, Ali Ail Blenton says, my 84-year-old mother sees that this conflict is the same as the Vietnam War she worked so hard against. I mean, yeah, it, it, this is, I mean, it feels like a redux of 9-11. And so I think as someone who was on that during that, I was like, well, surely we'll not go back to the crazy war on terror mode we were then. I'm like, oh, no, we will live long enough for our countries and governments to repeat the exact same mistakes. Time is a flat circle. Um, warmongering is a flat circle. Um, Christo Stefan, thank you so much. Never again means anyone else, too. Um, um, Joel Isaiah Lecchio says, I used to have a small space of friends that I would say as a goodbye greeting of peace in the Middle East. That's 10 years ago. Funny how hateful and sad hearts have become in that time. Yeah. If you say peace in the Middle East now, they'll be like, ew, anti-Semite. Suburban Housewife uh, says, every nation has trauma. The problem is the fetishization and commodification of trauma. Indeed. Um, Rosalba 14, Naomi's analysis is blowing my mind. She blows minds, guys. You got to read all, I hope you have read and you should read all of her books. Um, Robert, thank you for that super chat. Again, history tells us human beings really, really, really like killing, killing people. Yeah, they do. And Virginia Voss, thank you so much for gifting a membership to YouTube. If you're a member on YouTube or Twitch, you can obviously also, um, watch the bonus bish back, um, not only, and support this show. Uh, my preference is Patreon. But you know what? Some people just like it all in one place. And I get it. Um, and I see you on Twitch. Um, and Vitingale says, add some clicks for extra fun. Much love to our moderator, Todd, Todd Roy. Indeed. Uh, Bad Lefty says, BB cares about having less Palestinians more than he cares about those Jewish lives. Um, and Ken, thank you so much. 
uh, for that super chat and tote steel like Bronson. I'd like to talk with peeps like this. I feel like I talk to a wall with a blank stare when I talk about this stuff with my close family. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's important. I think everyone needs to have a little bit of a community. You need other than this is one of those times people that I know we like to treat social media like our, you know, little like uh, public diary. And sometimes that's fine. But sometimes you do need like your own little, you know, the group chat, your friends, even a discord, you know, um, just to be able to talk about these issues, just to be able to say something, be corrected, not feel like it's, you know, it's not a fully baked thought, all that. It's very, very important. And to say nothing of feeling, you know, supported. Um, I'm going to do a little bit more, guys, um, because in the middle of all of this, uh, in the middle of this, you know, now 8,000, I mean, this was numbers as of Monday morning, probably close to 9,000 Palestinians killed, um, and the leveling of a refugee camp in northern Gaza, um, leaving it just a massive crater, as Naomi was referring to. Um, in the middle of all that, good old, I'm with her, uh, good old Hillary had something to say. She warning us, she's warning us once again that the terrorists are the biggest problem and we should not call for a ceasefire because Hamas will win. People who are calling for a ceasefire now do not understand Hamas. That is not possible. It would be such a gift to Hamas because they would spend whatever time there was a ceasefire in effect rebuilding their uh, armaments, you know, creating stronger positions to be able to fend off uh, an eventual um, assault by the Israelis. So. We're in a very different world. I don't think it had to be the world we're in, but that's where we are, and we've got to figure our way uh, forward through. Find you someone who loves you as much as Hillary Clinton loves war, especially wars in the Middle East. Oh, my God. Find you someone who wants more U.S. involvement in the Middle East as Hillary Clinton does. I mean, she just, she loves it. She loves it. She's so wrong about, then they would be able to regroup from, you know, different points on the rubble. Then they'd be able to find the body parts of their loved ones. Then they'd be able to keep uh, a child alive who was injured in a blast that lost her entire family. Uh, then they would be able to keep the lights on in the hospital. Then they would be able to, you know, uh, share with the world what is going on. Then they would be able to uh, cook a meal. Then they, then they would be able to live. You fucking warmonger, you psycho. You're psychotic. How did Libya go? Oh my God. Oh my God. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, wait. Psst, psst, psst. Hey, 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 Hill. Hey, Hill. How did Libya go for you when you toppled Gaddafi? What happened? Oh, did it descend into chaos? Did you embolden warlords? That's what I thought. So, I mean, this is the thing. Warmongers and regime change lovers love to tell us that we have to do this thing, even though name one time you got it right. Name one time 
your war did the thing you wanted it to do. No. Instead, it caused more chaos. Instead, it led to more warring, warring factions, more sectarian violence, more civilians dead. And Hamas, of course, is not the same. It's not the same as Afghanistan. It's not the same as Libya. It's not the same as Iraq. It's not the same. But every time Hillary speaks on this issue, it just is this like knife that drives into my heart and a reminder of why the United States electorate voted for a black man named Barack Hussein Obama. It's because we were tired of war. I'm trying to keep my voice down for the baby. It's because we were fucking sick of war. And Hillary Clinton voted for the Iraq war. And Obama wanted to get us out of the Iraq war. Do you understand? Democratic Party. And they were like, no, you know what? We're going to try her again. 2016 going up against Trump. Yes, this cannot be a failing strategy. Bitch, we already passed her over. It was her turn. It's her turn. Remember that? Oh, my God. It was her turn in 2008. And guess what? She didn't get it because there was someone who, and yeah, I'm missing Obama these days because, like I said, there was a little bit of daylight that he put between the Israeli government and the United States government. There was a little bit of an attempt to restart the peace process and stop settlements in the West Bank. He spoke in the middle. He spoke in Cairo, the American University in Cairo, one of his first speeches. He he seemed to make the beginnings of what could be construed as amends to the Middle East for all of the wars. Anyway, um, I can't believe like like I don't even <laughs> I can't believe people even like enjoy interviewing this woman. Like I just like. I'm not saying she's not smart. I just think she like really likes it when like Arabs die and Muslims die. Um, anyway, that is what I am bitching about. In case you didn't catch it. That was what I'm bitching about, guys. What are you bitching about? Before we end uh, our final segment, guys, it is Halloween. And that means the ghouls have come out. We've got a new ghoul. That's right. New ghoul drop. All right. This is no Herschel Walker. He's done. Okay. Carrie Lake. Pff, Carrie who? Um, Trump been there, done that. Giuliani? No, these people are old news. We got a new ghoul. This is new ghoul. So this is for Halloween, but I actually kind of love this segment as a segment we should do. Like new ghoul, <laughs> new ghoul. Who dis? Like there's this is just like a nice. I I I like this segment a lot. Um, our new ghoul is your boy Mike Johnson. That's right. New Speaker of the House, um, who's always sort of like, again, the, the Forrest Gump of uh, U.S. Congress, sort of lurking in the background in every photo. Like, who's that guy? Why does he have really nice skin? Is he AI generated? You know, like, is he from the future? And it turns out that Mike Johnson is absolutely like a psycho Christian nationalist who I guess the Republicans can get behind um, because he's got nice hair and Kevin McCarthy didn't. Um, and he seems to want to avert a government shutdown. Uh, we will see and we will see what that will mean for our budgets and fucking people getting eating food and getting health care and, you know, any all of that stuff. Um, I 
I predict nothing but chaos. I don't think they can unite around this guy, but I think it is important. And the Daily Beast or Salon, excuse me, put out this article about how Speaker Mike Johnson is showcases the incelization of the modern GOP. Wow, how dare you? But it's true. They very much have become a bunch of incels. Um, so they they bring some receipts about Johnson's past. And again, this is this is a guy who is, you know, like basically argued that gay marriage goes against God, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and he continues in here. But Johnson is haunted by all the erotic adventures he imagines the straight ladies of America are having when he's not in the room. How dare they? When New York's Erin Carmen interviewed him in 2015, he blamed legal abortion for school shootings, saying, when you break up the nuclear family, when you tell a generation of people that life has no value, no meaning, that it's expendable, then you do wind up with school shooters. What? In 2016, he gave a speech in which he blamed feminism, liberal divorce laws, and the sexual revolution for mass shootings. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? Like, what? So, you're saying that, that sh mass shooters should be having less sex? I think, I think the problem might be they already feel like they're not having enough sex. Now you want to be like, everyone should just, we should be pre-sexual revolution. We should only have sex until we're married. Um, but effectively, that's what this is, right? I mean, Mike Pence dropped out of the presidential race, RIP. But now we've got Mike Johnson. Now Mike Johnson might not be running for president. But look, this guy might have a very long political life. Um, and this is some psycho Christian nationalist shit. Like they've already obliterated Roe v. Wade, but now it's, again, it's the Vivek Ramaswamy, the nuclear family is the greatest force of the greatest organizing force in the American public or something like this. Like, like, like basically women, again, go back into the kitchen and then my dick will grow three inches. Like this is what, this is the prophecy that they believe in. Um, Johnson warned uh, also that legal same-sex marriage is the dark harbinger of chaos and sexual anarchy that could doom even the strongest republic. Sounds like something a closeted gay man would say. Sorry, uh, that's just, <laughs> just <laughs> when you say sexual anarchy, like, okay, even if that sounds scary to you, there's like a three, there's like 5% of you that's like, mm, that sounds hot. Like you don't say those words. Nobody, you don't say sexual anarchy unless you're kind of into sexual anarchy. You feel me? Um, just to double down on some of his uh, old school views, um, this was him, I believe at a conference or an event. I'll get exactly the details, but here, here's what he had to say about... Uh, about all, I forgot which one this was, but watch. Oh, you bigot. Can't you be a little more open-minded? Come on. That's so like 18th century, you know? Well, they told us that if we didn't maintain those 18th century values, that the Republic would not stand. And so this is the condition we find ourselves in today. 18th century values. <laughs> like, like, he's not even going for like the early, you know, the, the early 1800s. He's like, you know, 1779 you know what i'm saying the republic was just founded and women hadn't fully like we the west was being conquered put on a bonnet i mean this is effectively like why can't women wear bonnets anymore um 
And it's like, back to kind of what Naomi talks about in her doppelganger book, the idea that it is women's liberation that, you know, killed all the jobs in America. I think the word you're looking for is global finance, international capitalism, uh, the International Monetary Fund, uh, the World Economic Forum. I think it's when the working people of this country were, were sold down the river so that we could produce cheap goods at the lowest price possible uh, in Haiti. I think that's maybe what happened. Uh, it's when American manufacturing was decimated deliberately by corporate oligarchs. And shout out to Sean Fain and the UAW who are pushing back against that and have a historic contract they have yet to vote on. But like, again, you, look, we could, we could, I'll put on a bonnet. You're not going to get your job. I'll put on a bonnet. American manufacturing's not coming back because of that. Here's another little slice of Mike Johnson. Roe v. Wade gave constitutional cover to the elective killing of unborn children in America, period. You think about the implications of that on the economy. We're all struggling here to, to cover the bases of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and all the rest. If we had all those able-bodied workers in the economy, we wouldn't be going upside down and toppling over like this. Listen, the gentleman I, I will not yield. I will not. I will not yield. I must talk about how we must use your little children as worker bees so we can underpay them. You know, why is it always the Chinese that are committing suicide in Foxconn factories? We need our little, you know, suicide squad in our maquiladoras here in the United States. You know, work harder for less. Amazon can't hire anymore, you know, not because they burned through the entire workforce of wherever they're factories are because they're not paying anyone a livable wage and everyone's got to wear diapers and pee in bottles. No, it's because of abortion rights. My God, we were put on this earth to do a lot more than fucking make profits for our bosses. But Republicans don't see it that way, of course. So, um, yeah, um, women are to blame. And that dude is speaker. That guy's third in line to the president. <laughs> wow. Um, and second in line is a woman. That's so weird. Um, with a first gentleman. Or no, a second gentleman. I love the second gentleman. I want to start a podcast called The Second Gentleman all about Doug. Um, even though I feel like he's just kind of a shit lib anyway. Guys, that has been the Bituation Room on this fine Hollows Eve. Um, I hope everyone is having... As much of a good time as you can, maybe you can, uh, you know, refrain from talking about geopolitics for just a couple hours or corner someone and be like, hey, you sexy, you stand for a ceasefire. And then, you know, it goes from there. I feel like I need. Oh, God, I feel like I need to actually ask all my friends that. So are we cool? Are we ceasefire? Cool. Tight, tight, tight. Let's let's drink to that. Um. Let's uh, bring up the fart song and thank everybody. Uh, I don't know if we have any new patrons at $10 or more, but you can also tip the show TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. Remember, um, you can always do that. Uh, but let's uh, look at some Twitch subs and just thank everybody with the fart song. So going to Twitch, thank you so much, Robot Cat Monkey, for resubscribing with Prime. Happy Halloween. 
Thank you, Stranix76, for cheering 100 bits. Strong and beautiful as always. Keep it up, Cheska. Thank you. Thank you, Seaman Assassin420, for giving out a community sub and for also resubscribing, says Freddy! ZX227, resubscribe, Franny. I always love your commentary and jokes, even when in the face of dealing with the hardest topics in news. Thank you. That's why we do this. Late Bloomer66, resubscribe for one month of tier one. And then back from, a, I think, on Friday, Artist Sketch. Thank you for cheering those bits. Nemo1870, Dragon gave out 10 community subs. You beautiful human. Artist Sketch, resubscribe for a month. And Rosalba, also resubscribe for a month. Steph11209, Chicken Tender Daddy, also. Thank you so much. And, um, let's see. Anybody else we have to thank? Do we have, uh... We have no new patrons at $10 or more, but... Uh, I'm... Oh, Eric, thank you so much for upping your pledge on Patreon. Uh, and that is really, really sweet of you to do so. And thank you, Kate, also for your sweet comments. Thank you for everything you do. I learned so much from you. And last night I went to a pro-Palestinian march. I wore my Fran Tifa shirt under my hoodie. Oh my god, nothing but love. And just a shout out to the innermost cabal or Chata Armada folks. Laramie, Leaf, Liliana, D. Munsinger, Rural Lefty, and Timothy Brennan. You guys are always, and you've been so, so, so generous and uh, always been sexy, always been generous we stream every tuesday and friday uh on friday we're going to interview jacob silverman who has been following the sam bankman freed trial that made the time may change i realize i may have scheduled something in conflict but Paige will also get very mad at me so stand by that's at 1 p.m pacific 4 p.m eastern follow us at bituation room on tiktok and instagram bituation pod on twitter thank you to Paige omek thank you to maximilian inhoff and andy Vasoyan. and remember Fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, free Palestine, and don't just bitch about it, but be about it. Bye.